How you doing today, Brian? Hey, I'm good, Nick. I uh, I was enjoying your uh, your janitorial background for our uh, conversation today. Yeah, you like that? I've been sprucing up. Uh, look at my hand, spears. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been sprucing my my home studio up a little bit since uh, you know it's hashtag March five thousand of twenty twenty or whatever. We're on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, hey, we had a really interesting guest today with Adrian Bishop. He is a uh, film director, a screenwriter, an animator. Uh, he's a principal behind his own entrepreneurial uh, endeavor called Practice Studios, which is one of many uh, businesses that he's owned and run over the years. And uh, it was just a lot of fun having him on. He's, uh, you know, he's got a, a slightly different uh, orientation around uh, leadership and technology than we typically have with our guests, being someone who is uh, mainly focused in the creative space. But uh, we got a lot of laughs, uh, as well yeah. as some insights out of today's discussion. Yeah, we did. And uh, for anyone, you know, who's going to listen to the whole episode, the answer is Sid. Um, <laughs> and if you know what I'm talking about, don't give it away. Okay. The answer is Sid. Okay. So if anybody gets that, you know, just find me on LinkedIn and let me know that you know what I'm talking about. But it is Sid. Okay. All right. We're going to see who, who digs up that golden nugget. <laughs> and with that, let's just um, let the listeners get off the show, Brian. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Yep. Welcome to another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano, Washington, D.C. And we're pleased to be joined today with our special guest, Adrian Bishop, who is one of the principals of Practice Studios and also on the board of directors for the Colorado Film and Video Association. Uh, Adrian has uh, kind of a long history as an artist, a writer, a director, uh, and um, has been involved in a lot of different leadership activities over his career as an entrepreneur. So uh, we're going to let the conversation kind of roll wherever it's going to take us today. And with that, welcome, Adrian. Well, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're thrilled yeah, to do it. Uh, we've been trying to coordinate this for a while, so uh, glad uh, we're able to make it happen today. I'm I'm amazed that you guys can do this just just from the coordination standpoint that you can even do any episode. So yes, it's it's excellent. <laughs> somehow it just comes together, Adrian. I don't know how it just happens. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. I I chalked that up in part to uh, to Nick's uh, production style. You know, he's. Uh, uh, you know, good enough uh, is uh, the enemy of, uh, you know, or, or great is the enemy of good enough, right? That's what we've talked about in the past. <laughs> yeah, that's you wanting perfect audio and everything. I'm like, it's not going to happen, man. Let's just get this thing out of here. That's right. I, I love that sentiment right off the bat. It's, I had a yep. coach who used to say, put a stamp on it. In other words, don't try to get the thing perfect. Put just put a stamp on it and get it out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, getting it done. Uh, you know, there's something to be said. You know, for your productivity when you're getting it done, even if it's not uh, 100% finely polished. Right. That's great. From from an artistic perspective, I imagine that's something that you wrestle with routinely because you've got sort of your your yeah. creative life on one side with your own independent projects but you've also got this whole commercial domain where there's probably not as much flexibility for not getting it perfect well yeah that's a great that's a great point I, I was just thinking that one of the 
you know, kind of benefits of, of how we have our company structured is that it's a partnership with my, uh, my business partner, Mike Slayan. And he and I really share the, almost all of the decision-making roles we, we share. We kind of, I was joking the other day that we really just, we're really just have one job at our company and we job share it. <laughs> Not a bad way to go. And, um, and so we can kind of keep each other in check like that. Some, you know, one of us will get attached personally to a project and it, it will be like, you know, <clears throat> we can't let it go. And the other one can, can step in and say, okay, buddy, time to let this one go. <laughs> and we have a really great relationship that way where, where we can, it, and it seems to ebb and flow, you know, and some, sometimes I'll be, you know, attached to something and sometimes he will, and we can bring each other back from the brink. Oh, that's great. And that, you know, that opens the door for us to do what I, I should have kicked us off with, which is actually giving you the opportunity to introduce yourself oh, yeah. a little bit and share a little bit about your background as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, so Practice Studios, my company makes film and animation, mostly animation for commercial clients and for TV content. We actually do a lot of stuff for Sesame Street and we've done stuff for Nickelodeon and we... Uh, we, the, our animation is, you know, is is all about trying to get to the core of the play or the joy of the of the story that needs to be told for our clients or for you know for the initiative we're working on, and so um, so our style has lent itself well to to places like Sesame Street, which are kind of all about education and 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 joy, happiness, really. Um, and that's, that was intentional. We wanted, Mike and I come from long careers in animation, uh, at lots of other studios and we really wanted a place where we could focus on that, that core of, of play and joy. And that's what we founded practice studios on. Um, and so before that I've had other animation companies and worked at lots of, uh, lots of agencies and studios, um, in Denver. And, uh, and I've also engaged in, um, Leadership roles like uh, through Landmark Education, for instance, I was I led a program called the Self-Expression and Leadership Program for a few years, and that was that was an awesome experience. Um, so yeah, I think that's a little bit about me. I I I, I, I you know actually I'm married, <laughs> and, and I have important three, detail. And I, I mentioned this for a specific reason, and I have three kids. Uh, who are all older. My youngest is 18 now, and my oldest is 31. And Grace is, uh, Grace is 26. She's, in, she's in, right in the middle. And so I, uh, I mentioned that because when I, 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 as I've been thinking about what is leadership, you know, and, and thinking about this call and what we're going to talk about, and really finding myself more questioning what it really is than anything, than, than knowing, than, than, have, than having any uh, kind of, um, conception that I, that I know something or I've gotten somewhere uh, about it. I mean, I would love to, believe me, I would love to be like Marcus Aurelius and just like fire off these great saying. <laughs> One-liners, right? One-liners. Like Simon Sinek. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I, 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 I just don't, um, I'm, I'm really in, in this world of like, well, what is it? And I mentioned the family because I noticed the other day that, that I'm, I'm developing new styles of leadership in my relationship with my wife. I, you know, like some of the old modes that used to work for me just don't work in a marriage, you know, and, and if you're trying to have a great marriage, 
certain styles of, of leadership, quote unquote, are just absolutely wrong. And so I, um, I've been noticing that like, oh, this, this way I'm communicating with my wife right now, this may be a different style of leadership. So anyway, mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, adaptability is something that Nick and I have talked about a lot. That's uh, that's a crucial leadership quality, <laughs> at least in my opinion. You know, you, you have to understand, uh, you know, how to read the room, so to speak, and mm -hmm. and know where to pivot. Uh, it's part of uh, it's part of what having, I think, a high EQ uh, also sort of determines. You know, when you've got a high degree of empathy, you can understand where you know, change may need to come from within as much as it needs to come from those that you're trying to lead. Oh man. I mean, you said a mouthful there. Absolutely. <laughs> Marcus Aurelius, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny that you bring up the point of that though. Cause I, I believe that Simon Sinek always says, you know, the best books for people to read on leadership are actually parenting books. Because um, it, it all starts with, with children or with your family, really. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, some of the work that you do uh, around Sesame Street. I mean, I, you know, when I think back to some of my own leadership influences, right? Sesame Street's right there at the top. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably one of my earliest, uh, you know, childhood television memories and, and one that was you know, hugely influential to me. I mean, as a, as a person overall, you know, I, I think about uh, when, when Barack Obama was elected president and there was a lot of discussion around the uh, Sesame street generation, right. Being this first colorblind, you know, meaning racially color uh, blind um, generation. I don't know that that turned out to be entirely true as we've seen more recently, but, um, you know, it, it could have contributed to the potential. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, Sesame street is a super great example of, of some of, well, I think what leadership can provide in the world. When we uh, started working with them, we went and had a meeting with them about this, this year, you know, this was their 50th anniversary of being on the air. And they wanted to celebrate that with a video that talked about what they do in the world. And I thought, what do you mean? What do you do? You make a, you make this show called Sesame Street. Well, that's not all they do. They're they're not education nonprofit company, and they make twenty six different versions of Sesame Street around the world in different languages. Jeez. And they have different characters for those different areas because they need different characters to speak to that culture. So in South Africa, for instance, there's a Muppet character who is HIV positive. And, and, and their mission in the world is that every child feels like they belong and they learn to read and write. It's super simple. That's their mission. Learn to read and write and that every kid gets to, gets to belong. And I, I'm just like tears streaming down my face while I'm sitting at, you know, at this desk <laughs> hearing about their, <laughs> what they do in the world. And like, it's such an honor to get to, get to make content for, for a show that's part of that mission. But it really, it really illustrated to me that, that you kind of can't get any higher than that, um, than, ha than, than having a mission that makes people weep when you tell them about it. Yeah, that's great. And I, I saw some of that, you know, with the, uh, the various Muppet characters and all the different countries, you know, it was, uh, it was a really right. inspiring thing to see, mm. uh, you know, and hadn't, hadn't really ever put a lot of thought into it 
you know, Sesame Street was, you know, is always locked in my mind as, you know, my own, uh, you know, childhood experience, but um, certainly, certainly one that's evolved over the years. There was no Elmo when I was a kid. And of course that was one of my son's favorite characters. I know. <laughs> my kids liked Elmo too. I thought he was mine. <laughs> I recently learned that Cookie Monster had a first name. I was like, I didn't even know he had a first name. I don't remember what it is right now, but for some reason I was playing a game and it's like, oh, what's Cookie Monster's first name? I was like, wait, he has a name? <laughs> I don't know Cookie Monster? First name. Is it Cookie? <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. I'm going to have to Google it uh, before we get off this call, but that's just, uh, I don't know, that's buzzing around in my head right now. <laughs> Goodness, that's funny. Well, you know, let me let me ask you a couple of questions uh, about your work as a director, Adrian, because when I think about, you know, all all the herding of cats that tends to take place with leaders in various roles across any industry, really, you, you often hear these stories about classic film directors, you know, Stanley Kubrick or, you know, Alfred Hitchcock, like this very dictatorial kind of you know, it's, it will be so, you know, this mandate <laughs> that's laid down by the director. Uh, but I've had the privilege of seeing you at work as a director. And, you know, part of what uh, I really appreciate about that is what a highly collaborative process it is. But there also has to be that point where it's definitively your vision, right? And, and, and you do have to dictate certain parts of it. Can you share yeah. a little bit about that experience? Yeah, I, but, I mean that's really true. So it is highly, highly collaborative. I mean, there's so many people involved for this, even for the smallest of productions. And um, but there has to be some one person has to say cut, and one person has to give direction on what the next shot is going to be. And you can't. It, it's hard to do it any other way, uh, be, because you're you're fighting against time. You've got to produce enough footage to make the film you want to make in this amount of time because that's how much that's how much time and money you have to do it it's a very it's a very contained exercise so it has to be efficient and it has to be um and it has to be you know as good as you can make it and so uh, uh i mean my i i was really stressed out being a director at first and um and i, I kind of had an experience of stress overload i don't know if that's a real thing or not but it was like after not sleeping one night before a shoot, you know, my brain just basically got took on as much stress as it could handle, and it had to let it go. And it, and I woke up the next morning with some real insights about what, what how I could deal with that, how I could deal with the conundrum of being the director on a set. And it was funny; it just kind of came to me. I, I I realized that I only had two or three jobs, and job one was to set the tone for the other collaborators, to set the tone on the set, to be the way that I, that I wanted the, um, you know, the, the way that I wanted us all to be able to work together, to actually be an example of that and set that tone. So I, so I said to myself, well, I can do that because I can, I can be, you know, I, I can, I can be, you know, the kind of, you know, I wanted this particular movie to be very fun and funny and 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 I wanted there to be a tone of having a good time while we're while we're doing our best work. So I'll set that tone. And then my only other real job was to was to um, say action and cut and and tell them it was okay, that the shot was good enough to move on to the next shot. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I had I had to be the one to say, and I had to set the tone by which to say it. And once I kind of got that those were my two, really my only two jobs, um, it really became an amazing experience. I really could settle into into it and really begin to um, empower and rely on all the other people who are there, to, who are, you know, doing an amazing job at every part that they were doing to do what they were, you know, to do their job. So I hadn't really reflected on that until you asked that question, but that really was a, 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 a sort of a peak experience for me in terms of, of a finding a zone or finding a place to, to stand in leadership that didn't have me... Um, you know, freaked out. It was actually, it was, it was actually a place I could see myself, you know, hanging out. That's great that you brought that up because, um, I feel like that's something people struggle with just in general when they're new leaders, right? You're so used to being the doer that you feel like you got to hop in and do everything right. Instead of just trusting the people who are underneath you to do the work that they're hired for. Right. So like, as you came to that stress, like, was it just that moment where you realized it's like, Hey, I should just, you know, let these people be the creatives and let them do what they're good at. Um, or, or was it a buildup kind of to that? I, I think this, the stress was kind of building up, but I did experience it. As, and, I, and I think maybe it was the, you know, something to do with the fact that you've only got a certain number of days to get these shots, you know, and it, it was like the compression of that. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of forced me to wake up to that. It was like, oh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm either really going to break my brain trying to think about every detail that needs to happen tomorrow, or I let it all go and focus on this one thing. So yeah, it, I, that, that's how I experienced that. Yeah. And, you know, in, in this, the world of software design, there's something similar, you know, I'm, I'm a certified scrum master, which means I'm kind of the director of a lot of you know, those different parts that need to come together into one unified distribution channel. And it involves a lot of different creative personalities as well as some very engineering oriented ones. And this whole concept of agility, right? It's kind of what you're talking about. There's there's a couple of facets to it. The first being you've got a time box situation and you've got a finite budget that goes along with whatever that sprint is. Right. And there's some kind of very specific deliverable that has to come out that is a, uh, you know, a, a package ready or a, a delivery ready feature of some sort. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's uh, and it has to function. It can't just be vaporware. Yeah. And uh, and making it happen so that you are also, you know, not only mastering, managing all of those disparate project management pieces, but allowing people to be the best of themselves. Mm-hmm. So that they're actually able to, you know, perform well, both individually as a team, uh, you know, and delivering this thing. That's, uh, you know, it, it, it sounds like uh, something that when you put a, a process around it is a pretty rote activity. But there's a lot that goes along with, as you're talking about, really being present in the moment to ensure that, you know, you're not um, negatively impacting the tone or the direction of, yeah. of all the work that has to be done. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and there's something too, like you know, about the difference between managing something to fulfillment and leading. Like, there's, you know, it's almost like what's beyond the fulfillment of that thing is kind of, in my mind, is kind of where the leadership 
is. It's sort of like one one step out beyond the fulfillment of this particular task or mission. What's the what is the where is that then going? Um, and what's the what's the broad impact of that? You know, in the world. And these are the questions I'm asking myself. I yeah, I don't have great answers about that. I I mean I I'm I'm really after in a lot of ways. I'm I keep looking for what is my kind of you know what what am I what am I going to do on this planet while I'm here that's you know either makes an impact or you know it, it is most fulfilling you know and how much of that you know and I'm trying to weigh how much of that am I supposed to uh, lean one way or the other you know am I here just to just to make a difference am I here to have a good time where where do I sit on all of that and it's sort of like you know in the man, in the leadership of my own life um, that's the that's the so that's the questioning that I'm going through right now. Well, again, that's a, you know, self-awareness being a, a key factor in, uh, you know, what Nick and I have often talked about as, you know, genuine leadership characteristics and spending that time to reflect also tends to be something that I think our society tends not to uh, protect or cherish in the way that it needs to necessarily, you know, a lot of people, it's almost like, you know, by nature of the speed of business or, you know, depending on industry in particular, you know, we've got this always on kind of expectation, especially now with, you know, the ubiquitous flow of the many points of contact you can have with someone to, you know, have immediate responses to everything. Right? <laughs> so this nature of always on, you know, it's, um, it, it's something that it doesn't, uh, you know, fuse well with more of an introspective nature or even those parts of ourselves um, that are more introverted that require that time to be able to reflect and process. And, you know, I think having that kind of self-awareness as a leader, you know, being able to fuse that with some kind of methodology as well. And I I know you to be someone who is uh, reflective and meditative in that way. So I'm kind of curious, are there specific tools that you you find that uh, that can benefit you? So, or is it a good night's sleep, really? <laughs> that's so great. I, yes, I do highly value good night's sleep. I really do. I mean, I organize all my food and exercise and everything around getting a good night's sleep these days. But, um, but I love that you said, I love that you, I love that you listen to me as if I'm someone who's very, very self-reflective and, and <laughs> because I'm going to try to step into that. I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, that's really what I need to do more of. That's really good. <laughs> taking notes. I'm taking notes. Um, yeah. I mean, um, I, I do wish I had more of a methodology to that. And that's an inter- That's a really an interesting idea. You know, how to approach uh, from a particular method that kind of self-reflection I love that I mean I've tried journaling and not been very consistent with it I've, I've meditated in the past and had periods of time where I'm fairly consistent with that and those are all those are all great but you know in this moment you're catching me going like yeah what what am I <laughs> so I'm going to try to step into your listening of, of who I am <laughs> I love it. Well, sometimes, sometimes uh, the truth about ourselves comes out more through how other people perceive us than we perceive ourselves, right? Absolutely, that's really well said. 
sometimes that's unhappy information to hear. <laughs> I like how you got that great one liner and then you just put a zinger in there at the end, Brian. It's like <laughs> Truth be told. <laughs> you know, I for uh for my my most recent birthday I got a great book uh from my wife. It's uh it's a book by David Lynch, who's you know famous film director, called Catching the Big Fish. Okay. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I had no idea about this book before she gave it to me. And it's fascinating because it's all, actually all about his practice as a um, meditator, a transcendental meditator. Wow. And how that has influenced his creativity. And he talks about, you know, as a creative person that you, you kind of have to dive into where the creativity lives. And, and it's like fishing, you know, sometimes you come up with a minnow. Sometimes you come up with the, you know, this massive catch and in order to catch the big fish, you, you need to be able to do that with consistency. And that's what allows you to, to continue to dive in deeper. So, um, and, and, you know, true to form with David Lynch, it's almost every chapter in this book is like a single page. Oh, wow. So that was kind of my wife's motivation for it. She said, this is about as much time as you've got to read a book. Here you go. It's <laughs> <laughs> really great. Yeah. One page at a time, huh? <laughs> That's right. One page a day. <laughs> Read the whole chapter. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, there, there was a there is a book actually that I was thinking of saving this to your to your question about the artifact, but but there is a book that um I read recently which which touched on similar themes, I think. And it's a, also a very short book, and it's by John Cleese. And it's called, uh, oh, shoot. It's about how to be creative or how to. How to remember a book title. How to remember a book title. (laughs) By John Cleese. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Nick's got a John Cleese association also. That's that's a pretty cool one. Creativity, a short and cheerful guy. Oh, nice. Oh, lovely. That's it. And and he really does talk about about how the – the creativity exists in those interstitials in the, in that area of not trying or not, you know, not, uh, not reaching, but allowing, allowing something to, to arise. He tells a funny anecdote in there. I think about, uh, Jack Warner used to get angry when he'd walk past the writer's, uh, uh, hut on the, on the studio lot. If he didn't hear typewriter keys being hammered constantly and, and because what he didn't understand was that that's not how writing works. Mm-hmm. Writing is mostly mm-hmm. the thinking and the and the percolating and, like you said, the deep diving. And then there's a flurry of of fingers hitting keys. So they they set up a little system where when it, you know they had a lookout and when they'd when when they'd see him coming, they'd all sit down and just start just hammering nonsense on. The <laughs> really well. That's classic. <laughs> I'll have to add that one to my list. It's, it sounds kind of similar to, have you read Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull, one of the Pixar co-founders? No. Um, and and he just goes through like their creative process um, that they did when they were creating movies. And it kind of reminded me that, you know, they needed time to allow people to be creative. And one of the things they would do is they'd get together and they'd workshop things and storyboard and they'd let anybody from the organization come in and look at these storyboards and they're like hey does it make sense that character a would do this to character y or whatever does this seem like this character so it was like that that feedback 
loop, um, which, you know, you bringing up that book just totally reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about your technical process because, you know, obviously that's one that uh, it comes with some of its own challenges and constraints as well, right? I mean, you talked about the nature of a lot of this work that you do being bound by time. And, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, a, a sort of rhythm to how you have to, you know, now, now that the, now that the, uh, you know, the shoot's been done, you've actually got to do some production work, yeah. right, to, to complete a thing. And, uh, and you've got to be dependent on technology in the process of doing that as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, it's been an interesting year regarding the technology and our processes, um, and one that, that hasn't been, you know, um, entirely negative, you know, we, uh, it's changed a lot of our business process. It's changed our sales process mightily, <laughs> uh, for the better. You know, we, we used to have to, or a studio like ours, um, to market itself used to have to visit, uh, other cities where there are advertising agencies and the larger advertising agencies have people on staff who part of their job is to schedule uh, production houses like ours to come in and pitch and buy lunch for 30 to 50 people. <laughs> so, you know, if we hit seven or eight agencies in a, in a city over a few days, you know, with the travel and buying all those lunches and uh, it was an expense. It was very expensive. Yeah. And it, suddenly during the COVID time, we found ourselves not having to talk with a room full of 50 people, but rather three or four decision makers mm-hmm. or free on zoom, you know, from my home office, it's been amazing. We've had more meetings and more business energy, business development energy happening in the first, you know, in the last three months than we had for three years. Wow. It's been incredible. So technology has made a massive impact in that way for us. And, and it, that trickles out into the way we set up our production process as well, you know. So um, uh, we, we don't have to, you know, I mean, it's been going virtual for a long time, especially in animation. But it really got forced there. And, and it's interesting. It's, it's, it's not like the technology wasn't there to do a lot of virtual collaboration. It was there. Mm-hmm. But culturally, we weren't quite there. And that's just not a question anymore. It's it, it it's um, so it's really been it's really been fascinating, and 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 it's a, it's allowed us to have a bigger team, broader a broader reach with uh, the number of different collaborators we can bring in on a project, uh, with different types of skill sets and and um, uh, different backgrounds, and and it's been it's been great. I don't know if I'm answering your your question necessarily. Well, part of what I think about is, you know, obviously Nick and I work with uh, technology routinely and, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where it can fuel your delivery and whatever it is that you're doing, but it can also come with its own set of challenges. Not every piece of technology has uh, a design that is inherently in the favor of the work that you're trying to accomplish and you have to figure out some ways to creatively, uh, you know, overstep those limitations and it's compounded when you're working against the clock. For sure. I mean, um, great example right now we, we are 
constantly trying to figure out the perfect project management software that we can use and bring in team members to and that everyone can use. I mean, and we're, we, we've done Basecamp. We're doing Asana. We've got Airtable bases set up. We've got, uh, you know, Google, Google Docs and spreadsheets. We, we're, it, it's, um, they all seem, the best ones seem to get about 80% or 90% of the way there. Yeah. And, then we, and then we hit that thing like, oh, it doesn't do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I don't know if you find that too, but the tools, there's, there doesn't just seem to be the perfect tool for what we need exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're looking for that. You know, that's, um, I guess if we could design our own, maybe that's something we should do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, it it always is. brings up the builder buy question. <laughs> sorry nick no i was saying as a tech guy you know then then you start adding in jira and stuff like that too and running automated workflows and all kinds of crazy stuff but i mean like you said there's tools out there for everything and not all of them are going to get you all the way there for you know your project needs or your culture well we just keep i think i think we just need to realize that we just keep getting excited you know it's like oh it's slack slack is going to be great you know i was like no it's not slack. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ironically, a, a project management tool that I've used for a long time that I found fit the agility um, for my own needs is called Product Plan. And it's not really designed as a project management tool, although you can hook in, you know, various resources. But uh, for all of the things that I needed in terms of kind of strategically road mapping all these different projects and you know how they might sometimes overlap or have interdependencies and where one gets in the way of the other and you actually have to you know quickly be able to move out another thirty or ninety days or whatever it is you know to make adjustments um, that's that's one that uh, that I found really helpful and and it, and it does have you know ports into a variety of other tool sets as well. That's great. I'll have to check that one out. That's that's my free offer to you. Just you. just just for joining us today. I'm getting tons out of out of being a guest here. <laughs> we'll have you on more often. <laughs> there you go. We're Let's here to help you grow management software. Okay. Right. <laughs> can, can we get sponsored by product right now, now Brian? No, that's, that's the question. Right. <laughs> I'm sure it's possible. <laughs> Right. There's there's a reason that Reese's pieces ended up in ET. <laughs> That's creative solutions to to problems, right? You know, people don't watch commercials anymore, so we're just going to make the commercial inside the actual entertainment. There you go. Yeah, that's that's right. Quality product placement. So, Adrian, you know, I know that uh, that you're also a, a writer, and uh, you know that um, a lot of your creativity. Uh, you know, you've, you've got all these different areas, you know, that you can work in. Um, but to me, writing is one of those things that's it's really foundational to a lot of the process that you go through, as I understand it, um, because ultimately it's about storytelling, right? Whether it's in a 30-second time frame or 30 minutes or three hours, right? You, you've got you've to understand uh, how, how to effectively tell a story. Can you share a little bit about your own storytelling process with us? Yeah, sure. That's great. I mean, um, you know, the way we work at practice is sometimes we're writing the scripts and sometimes we're receiving scripts from clients. But in either case, there's there's a point where it really helps to 
right out, even before we start storyboarding or doing drawings of things to write out what this, what, you know, the action is and what the, what the, uh, how the scenes connect with each other and, and take us through the story. Um, so I def- we definitely do that a lot, um, at the shop and, um, you know, for me that it's a process of, I, I don't know. I don't have words for it, really. I haven't been asked to describe it. But I, if I think, if I just am forced to say it now, it's like, um, it's it's imagining. It's just imagining, you know. And and then and then there's some there's some kind of place that I like to look to when I'm imagining. But it's like a it's like I'm trying to place myself into that story or at least into a future where the story is done and I can watch it or, you know, I can interact with it or engage with it. And, and then, um, and then from that imagining place really just try to describe as best as possible, as clearly as possible. And sometimes as artistically as possible, what, what is seen there. And that, that's really as far as I've gotten with, with how I approach writing, you know, it's, um, uh, and maybe that's enough, you know, imagining some, somebody's got great quotes about the imagination, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> or, or at least there are dozens of quotes attributed to Einstein about imagination, but, but, um, that, that's, that's kind of it for me. <laughs> One of the exercises that I've, I've helped with my son, you know, he's, he's kind of been challenged in his, um, you know, studying literature, um, in, in part, I think, because for his generation, you know, I mean, for one thing, there's never been a computer that you can't, you know, touch and control the screen, you know, as far as he's concerned. And, and so, you know, the speed at which all of these things come that, you know, we've, we've referenced already, it, it makes it challenging, I think, for, uh, you know, this, this young generation of kids to be able to apprehend you know, some of these ideas and, and be able to, you know, really um, reference exactly, you know, what are these core ideas there? It's, it's one area that I've seen him, you know, challenged with. And so part of what I did was I, I took him on this uh, exploration of imdb.com and we took a look at different movies where he knew the story, right? And so our exercise would be, okay, first I want you to, you know, let's pick five movies, and of those five movies, I, what I want you to do is I want you to sit down and just write out, you know, a paragraph. Explain to me, you know, what the story is. Who are the main characters? What's the purpose of the story? Where are the conflicts? How is it resolved? And, you know, so we would do that. And then I would say, okay, now take that exact same paragraph and make it three sentences. And then he would have to go through that refinement. Right. Which makes you sort of forces you to have to crystallize, you know, how you're getting closer and closer to those ideas. And then I said, okay, now we're going to do what's called a log line. And I want you to do it in one sentence. Mm -hmm. Think of all the real estate you had to write the the synopsis of this movie was what was going to end up on the label of a Netflix uh, envelope, <laughs> right? <laughs> or right here in IMDb where, you know, you've got these great one-liners that explain the whole movie in a single sentence. I mean, obviously you have to throw out a lot of detail, yeah. but it drives you towards, you know, apprehending what the context is. That's really, really great. 
How did he like that exercise? You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So it went over well with him. (laughs) That's right. Hey, come on back to the show anytime. Hey, since uh, since we did go down the path of of citing a uh, a favorite book or uh, an influential uh, leadership book, um, how about movies? I know that uh, that you're a movie guy, and uh, uh, is there a movie that stands out that's like a great leadership story to you, or one that's been influential and and you're thinking in that way? Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> I, you know, I, it's probably going to be tough for me to, I, I have, I have lists of favorite movies and when, when I'm asked for a favorite movie, it's, I, I can never narrow it down. <laughs> I really have a hard time narrowing it down, but, um, sorry, nothing, nothing jumps to mind in terms nothing of right mine. No. Well, Nick, how about you? Yeah. One that stands uh, out. So for leadership, I'd probably say Saving Private Ryan, right? And Tom Hanks' character in that movie. And you think uh, the rapport he built with his unit and, you know, how he was a a true servant leader, right? He was doing everything for them Hmm. all the way up until the end when he sacrifices himself so that everybody else can survive. Um, So to me, you know, that movie always comes top of mind. That's right, you, Brian. Yeah, that's so that's so wild that you mentioned that because I just saw another Tom Hanks movie and it's the one that's top of mind for me. It's called Greyhound. Oh yeah, that was a good one too. So basically and, the same movie. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> part of part of what I love about that is you know, it 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 begins, you know, effectively under high pressure and never lets up. And you know, the uh the amount of leadership challenges that are posed throughout the the plot of the story it's just one thing after another and i know that nick and i have talked about this quite a bit leadership challenges when you're under pressure because lives are on the line that looks different than you know i mean sure maybe as an entrepreneur it's your own business you've got you know your own your own investments on the line um but uh but the pressure is is a lot different when um when you're, you're talking about hundreds of lives of other people and, and the thing that punctuates it for me in that particular film is right at the very end, the Tom Hanks character is, is communicating with uh, one of the other naval officers who says, you know, great work. How many, how many runs uh, across whatever they call this, you know, this zone, how, how many runs uh, have you had, had to lead so far? How many does that make it for you? And he says, one. That was my first one, (laughs) which just sort of punctuates, you know, everything that you've just witnessed. That's great. I love that. It's not a lot of dialogue in that movie either. It's it. It literally just starts with that. And it's just all action for the most part. Yeah. A lot of that. Mm -hmm. Well, Adrian, thanks for taking the time with us today. It's it's great to uh, interact with you via a cluster of electrons on our, our screen here. It seems appropriate somehow <laughs> talking with the filmmaker in this format. <laughs> it's been really great. I can't believe we just did an hour. I, I'd be fun to talk longer, so let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Definitely. thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, guys.